most of us love to mock Razor Ray Chamberlain. Not only is he an umpire, he's a pipsqueak who loves to flaunt his authority, empowered by nothing more than a whistle. Yet, deep down, most of us admire him too. He's cocky, he's ballsy, and he has become an integral part of the on-field theatre. So who is he? Welcome, Ray. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm well, thanks. Titus O'Reilly recently likened you to Freddie Mercury. Is that fair? I've definitely got probably a caravan full of ego parked behind me. I'm not sure if I'd pull off the jumpsuit, though. Now, you're from Canberra. Yes. You've been umpiring in Melbourne for more than 20 years in the VFL and the AFL. Correct. You're now into mortgage broking, you're an ex-school teacher. That's the limit of my knowledge of you. Okay. So take us further. They're the highlights, basically. I, I moved to Melbourne 20 years ago chasing this AFL umpiring dream. I played footy as a kid for the mighty Tuggeranong Lions in, uh, in the Tuggeranong Valley in Canberra, and I played 200 games for my club. Uh, absolutely loved it. And then, uh, and then eventually found my way to Melbourne pursuing a dream of wanting to umpire AFL football. I, I came to umpiring by a chance. Um, I, uh, I was encouraged to come and watch my brother play football. My mum was worried about my younger brother in terms of his wellness. And on reflection, um, she was right. Uh, he was having a tough time. And she said, look, you know, you're the eldest brother. You need to take an interest in him and, and show, show him some attention. So I was 17, he was 12. So I went and watched him um, uh, play a game uh, in Canberra. Eight o'clock kickoff in Canberra is a bit rude. Mm. <laughs> and no umpire turned up. And so the president of our club came and saw me and he said, Ray, we'll give you 20 bucks and we won't let anyone hang any shit on you if you, if you umpire the game. So I went and saw mum. I said, are you still filling up my car full of petrol? She said, yep. <laughs> so I went back and agreed. And, um, and that's how I got into umpiring. Literally met a gentleman by the name of Bob Stacey, who's been um, a mentor for the rest since then with me. Um, and he sort of came, he was a talent guy. He was looking at a young fellow on another ground and he sort of introduced himself. He said, how long have you been doing this for? I said, about 40 minutes. <laughs> and it sort of went from there. Do you enjoy your profile? I took some time to come to terms with that. It's not something that I set out mindfully to achieve. Um, I think for a period of time it affected me. Um, I'd be quite away from football, just in general speak, you know, on the street, out, restaurant, work, whatever. I was, uh, I found myself being quite highly anxious because people recognise who you are and I hadn't, I wasn't familiar with that um, and I didn't really know how to cope with that. What uh, period are we talking about? Yeah, probably from about 2008. Yeah. And I, and I, and I know that because... In 2007 was when I did my first sort of radio interview. Um, Geese had been under a bit of pressure, I think. Had been Lots of people had been making inquiry. And uh, after some consideration, he rang me and said, look, I'd really like you to do it. And, um, and it was with Triple M and they were unreal. They were, they were, they were really kind. And uh, they went easy on me. And, did they? Uh, yeah, no, they were good. You'd handled yourself with those blokes. You know what? It was excellent. So I was aware, look, I understood... You know where the, where it would fit, and you know I I dropped a couple of lines. I said I think I might have said something like, you know, the dingo took the wrong Chamberlain or something like that. And <laughs> I and, shouldn't laugh. Yeah, at no, that. no, and no, you can, mate. And it was meant to be humorous. And uh, and I I think Gary Lyon might have laughed for ten minutes straight. I don't, I didn't hear him for the rest of the thing because he was giggling. So from there, I think they sort of got an understanding a little bit 
of who I am and what I'm about and, and it went well. And as a result of that, this, this whole profile started to evolve. Well, Brian Taylor would seem like he's even paid by your camp to, sort of <laughs> to project the Razor Ray image. He actually didn't christen you Razor Ray, did he? No, I, um, when I first moved to Melbourne, I was uh, teaching at a, at a state secondary school at Morty Alec, and there was a gentleman there who'd played cricket for the Melbourne Cricket Club. And as a kid, that, that was the game that I was most talented at. Um, and so I played some rep cricket and what have you, and I didn't know anyone in Melbourne. Um, and so he encouraged me to go and have a net um, with Melbourne. So I did that, and then, so you get picked in seconds or whatever you're playing, and um, they're one day is, so you're batting at eight, you might get 10 balls, you hit a couple of boundaries, and then you keep. That's what I, I was a wicket keeper. And then we had, a, we had our first two-day game, and I finally got a hit. And we lost a few wickets quickly and I had a good day and was not out 70 and, and took a catch and, and we won the game. And, um, and so I was batting with a grey nickels razor. And so from then on, I went from being that ump to mm. I was razor. Okay. Yeah. So BT's picked it up and claimed it as his. He has. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, he stole it. Play off. Get after it, Toby. It helps, Toby. It helps if you actually try and contest it. I need you to get your hands up at the football, mate. You seen how I can jump? <laughs> Good call, buddy. Good call. You need to calm down. Blood rule. Thank you. Just relax. Okay? We don't talk. We don't talk to one another like that. It's okay. Good work, mate. Do you enjoy the fact that the, the media seems to be not preoccupied, but in terms of umpiring, you're the one with the big profile, the big personality? Do you like that? I've learnt to understand that I can use it for positive things. So I, I, I genuinely struggled with it for a period of time, and it was not something that I sought uh, at all because I think particularly the notion of umpiring, we're sort of there to... We're not the stars of the show, mm. right? We officiate, the players are the stars... That's the game, that's the show. Um, and so then when you are drawn into that, it's sort of incongruent with what culturally is expected from that cohort of, in the game being the umpires. So I, I felt that it was a bit of a roadblock. So you can either have this fight that you're going to lose or you can embrace it and use it for something that's positive. Let me ask you one about a paternalistic role that you've adopted. Mm -hmm. uh, you're umpiring a Hawthorne game and the great Sammy Mitchell was still playing for the Hawks. Yeah. And admonished a younger player and, and almost dismissed him with a, with a hand flourish. Yeah. You, you involved yourself in that, didn't you? Yeah, I, I was at home. And, um, and I've known Sam since he played at the Eastern Rangers, I think, and then Box Hill was when I first met Sam. I was in the VFL. And he's really, like, a really smart guy, incredibly driven, unbelievably skilled, cracking player. You, like, you, you sort of look at him jealously in terms of what he's achieved in the game. And I, I didn't like the way he treated a first-year umpire. Oh, it was uh, an umpire, was it? Yeah. Oh, OK, yeah. And um, I, I, it didn't sit well with me. And then it was by chance, I was, I was seeing a client. I was at Monash University and um, I was leaving and I ran into him. He was there as a student. I said, oh, are you busy now? And uh, he goes, no, can, we, can I grab you for five minutes for a coffee? He's like, yeah, sure. And we spoke about that moment. 
And I sort of spoke about, you know, how do you treat an 18-year-old who's just been drafted to the club and doesn't quite hit the mark? You know, do you, do you, do you harangue him or do you get around him, talk to him, explain it to him, help him grow? So we had a bit of a conversation around that and then I sort of had a conversation, well, how does that look on a public, very public scale? He can't say or do anything. And it was, I just found it really demeaning. And I said, I don't think it is fair to the umpire and I don't think it represented him at all well either. And um, to Sam's credit, he knew the moment too. He knew exactly what it was and he, he really owned that. He's a guy that I've sort of dealt with and exchanged with over the course and he's always been incredibly welcoming and, uh, and I, just, I just thought it was a testament to his personality and character that he was willing to sit down and have a coffee and talk about how that exchange may have impacted on one of my young colleagues. Did he make contact with one of your co- with the colleague? He didn't, he didn't ring him directly, no. I didn't give him his details, but I passed on mm-hmm. the message to the colleague and, um, and, he, and he was genuine and sincere. Okay. And, and I, I just think, I, I, I rate that. Do you think that your personality affected your chances of getting the 2018 grand final? When, when most of us thought you would. 2018 um, was without any shadow of a doubt my best season in my entire career. So I, um, I look back on 2018 and there's, there's not bitterness or vitriol or anger. There was for a period of time, but mm. that I've worked through that. It's actually, I'm actually joyous about the year. I was afforded incredible opportunity by the AFL in 2018. I umpired on Anzac Day at Hawthorne and Geelong, um, Collingwood, Richmond. I ran all the way through to a preliminary final. But how umpiring works, Mike, and people wouldn't necessarily have their head around this, is that 33 men and women toe the line in November when they sign their contract. And we're all racing towards trying to be afforded the privilege of umpiring an AFL grand final. And in the history of the game, more men have, um, have captained the Australian Test cricket team than have umpired an AFL mm. grand final in Is the that field. Right? So they don't just hand them out, mate. Mm. And so then you get to September and there's 12 people left standing. So 65% of the list are off sipping Mai Tais somewhere. <laughs> the following week, we've got six left. Mm. And then that last week, there's only three. So, Mike, I could be the ripest peach in the bowl, but if they want bananas... Mate, I'm shit out of luck. You're 170 centimetres and 60-odd kilos. 72. <laughs> You're 72, are you? I've blown out. You have? Yeah. <laughs> You're out there with the gladiators. Yeah. I mean, is it scary? I mean, that's an odd sort of question, I suspect, but there are 36 blokes out there going in all different directions at breakneck speed. Are you ever worried about your physical welfare? I've, I've, I've had a couple of really solid hits. I remember Troy Cook pinned me off the back of the square one day back in Adelaide. And that, I think I still feel that. So when you get hit by a player, it, 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 you're not braced for it. That's probably more the point. You're not expecting contact. Um, and they're big guys and they're flying around. So, yeah, there's, there's an element of that. Um, we do a lot to try and stay out of their way. So where we position ourselves on field, we've amended that over the years in my time in the AFL to stay outside of play more often and things like that. So um, am I scared? No, I'm not scared. Um, and uh, do you, is it great when you get run into? No, but I don't think a player ever deliberately goes out of their no, way no. to run into you. So, you know, it's, it's unlikely. 
the perception from outside the fence is that you certainly give as good as you get and sometimes might even go a bit further in the verbal stuff. Is that true? I would argue against that. Um, everything that we do and say is recorded. So we run around, for those who don't know, with a wetsuit under our shirt. And so every sneeze, belch, exchange <laughs> yeah. is, is clearly yeah. recorded. And then what goes to air is determined by your team, you know, in the bus. Um, so some guys' mics are left open all night and others get turned up and turned down. Um, so one of the changes that's happened in umpiring in my time in the game has been that exchange. When I first started, you had to stand on your own two feet or they would just hammer you for two hours. So if you, They being the players. The players, yeah. 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 So if you had a particular type of player and they liked to have a bit of a grow at the young umpire, if you weren't able to handle yourself, well, they'd keep coming at you. There are a few people that you never were allowed to speak to. When you started, yep. the guns were... Buckley, Bird, 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 Voss, yep. Harvey. Yep. And so there was a few of those guys there, like you were told very early, they speak to you, you don't speak to them. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. And, and, and that, was, that was part of the culture of the game. And then, um, and then the other way, you know, you had to manage your relationships. And, of course, there are a myriad of personalities that play AFL football, particularly when they cross the white line, which is vastly different to who they are as men outside and so you had to you had to work through that but now with the the communication vests and everything going into people's living rooms um that dynamic has changed enormously the change from the young chamberlain to the modern day the current chamberlain yep you know you say to players now if they say something you don't like you say don't talk to me like that don't you yeah, and that, that, had to, that, that had to be a generational change there because there were some established relationships. So sometimes, you know, pre, pre-vests, you might have had a little bit more of a dynamic dialogue. Mm. And so, therefore, you can't get all precious two minutes later just because you're wearing this thing under your shirt. But also the edict in terms of us for, as umpires on field changed. So there was this zero tolerance to verbal and demonstrative abuse. And so it was incumbent upon us as role models for other leagues we don't get a choice there, Mike. Someone swears that you're is clearly demonstratively abusing you. You have to pay a 50 metre penalty or free kick. So that that's where it's at. So then, as the generational change happens, absolutely. You know, I um I had an exchange with a couple of players uh, in a in a practice game, and I said, Hey, look, have I ever spoken to you like that ever? And to their credit, they went, No, mate. Mm. Yeah. Well, don't speak to me. Like that. can't speak to an umpire not asking about the future of the bounce. Yep. Now, rightly or wrongly, some of your people yep. think that you're not great at bouncing the ball. Yeah, in terms of elite AFL standards, when they talk about the greatest bounces of the ball in the history of the game in umpiring catch-ups and drinks, I'm not in those conversations. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But are you happy for the bounce to continue? I love it. And I love that it's, um, it causes me anxiety, you know, in terms of it's a real thing for me before a game. And then once I'm out there doing it, you're away. Kevin Butler is adamant in his view yep. that the bounce, whatever happens, should be, should be play on. Even if it goes skew with or anywhere, it's play on because that's inherent in the nature of an oval ball. And in the history of the game. 
Yep. So the reason why you're bouncing over ball to start with and there were four people in there is because it's meant to be an, an unpredictable reset to the game. Do you agree with Bartlett? So I do, right? So I don't see there being a problem if it's a skew-if bounce. You don't deliberately do it and it could go anywhere. That's sport. And then it gets to the whole point about, well, what is the game? And people get, you know, there was a, a skew-if bounce in a Collingwood-North Melbourne game, banging in the arms, down goal. And then everyone goes, do we want that? Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not for me to decide. I think the challenge with the bounce is that around the country this year, there'll be no more than 150 people who bounce the football. So we're, we're draining that. We're really starting to narrow down the talent pool as to where you can select people from. There's only 150 people. There's more than 150 umpires. Mm-hmm. And so my question is, are we doing enough there when they get into the talent pool to teach them well enough, early enough. Let me ask you about this. Eleni Gluftus uh, is the first female umpire yes, in the umpire. AFL. Yep. Yeah. Now, I cannot understand as a layman why the umpiring fraternity requires her to bounce the ball, particularly on grounds where she can't get any height in the bounce. Yep. Why don't you protect her? Why don't you just either let her throw it up or the better bouncer of the group bounce the ball? Yeah, so it's a really fair question and, and to a degree we, we do that. So, um, and, it, and it might, and, and just to be fair, the Park L for a minute, it's any of us on any given day. So even Jumbo Zaki misses the odd fair way <laughs> off the tee, mate. So, um, what about so, your analogies? <laughs> so, you know, if you're having a bad day or, you know, it's not favourable tundra for your style of bouncing, whether that's a cricket pitch for some of our guys who are our best bouncers and they bang them and then they get on a cricket pitch and it's like, they can go miles, you mm-hmm. know? So those guys, that's when, that's my time to shine. Yeah. Um, so if the, suit, if the conditions don't suit an individual, whether it's Eleni, Ray, Brett Rosebury, Simon Meredith, it doesn't matter, we'll protect them. What's the toughest rule to interpret? I think the one that brings the most angst and is holding the ball. Um, so there are so many different levels to it. So, um, and trying to explain that to the layman person or even to fans who know the game inside and out. So has the player had a prior opportunity, yes or no? And then what's the streams there? Yes, he has had a prior opportunity. What is that? It's a fend-off, it's an evade, it's all, again, subjective stuff. And then so if he's legally tackled, he must successfully kick or handball versus if the answer is no, he hasn't had a prior opportunity, Mike, then an attempt will do. So if it gets knocked out or he sort of half attempts to handball it or kick it, it's play on. And everyone goes, oh, he dropped it. Mm. Well, did he drop it or did he get knocked out? Mm. Had he had a prior opportunity or not? And then... Has he made a reasonable attempt? That comes in there as well. So if he's still got the ball, is there a genuine attempt to handball or kick? And if there isn't and it's pinned, it's a ball up. But if he's had a prior opportunity, it's holding the ball. And so people who aren't au fait with the laws, they're going, well, he paid that one over there and he didn't pay that one there. Well, yeah, because there's a whole lot of different stuff that's been going on. So I think that for the game, it's one I love because, again, you've got that 50 going ball, 50 going back, little guy in a green shirt going play on. (laughs) Um, but that's the, probably the most difficult one to explain to people. You've been involved in many celebrated incidents on the ground in terms of interpretation of the rules and the impact of the decision. Yep. West Coast Carlton 2011 semi-final. Yes. Talk us through this one. Umpire says play on. Quick kick by Carlton to the tip of the goal square. Walker was being held. It's rushed through oh. from behind. It's two points in favour of West Coast. Walker wanted the free kick. Umpire said no. Now, clearly there, Walker 
who's, I'm not sure, playing for the free kick, but thinks he deserves one. Yeah, so one of my favourite games, uh, unbelievable night, elimination final, one-kick game. Like, I still get stopped on planes by Carlton supporters <laughs> going, what do you reckon about the Walker one? Mm. Go, Mate, Jesus, that was, that was nine years ago. Yeah. Um, for me, the whole point is, is that it's the last two minutes of, a, of an elimination final. There's one kick in it and there's a marking contest. And people will often have this idea that umpires, or in particular myself, are seeking an opportunity to pay a free kick and bring attention onto ourselves. And nothing could be further from the truth. And often the best decision and the hardest decision is to actually, is no decision. And that's a perfect example of that. Yet emotive Carlton supporters, of which half my family are, will still ask about it. Not only anyone thinks that's a free kick. Let me ask you this. This is the long-held view of some of us about free kicks in different positions on the ground. Yep. Was that a free kick on the wing? It's not a free kick anywhere, anytime, okay. any day. Collingwood and the Giants last year in a qualifying final. Phil Davis and uh, Mason Cox. that was good body use then. You're allowed to have some sort of body use in a market contest. So this, I'm not, I don't normally agree with Richo, but this was like, <laughs> but he's spot on. And, and so the example here being like, so with your golf game, Mike, I hear that you've got a little bit of a fairway wood that you're, it's like a wand, like you're pretty good with that. But I've, <laughs> also, you that but I've also heard that if you've got to, within 40 metres of the, of the green, you're not, you're a bit shaky. Yeah. So we've all got strengths and weaknesses to our game. And for me, in marking contests, which is a key part of what we do, statistically, I'm really good at it. But that's a horrible mistake. And that's wrong. And Phil Davis's footwork was elite, and I just got it wrong. And, and I guess the whole point is that despite best intentions and despite the fact that that might be a strength of my game, we make mistakes. Um, the best part about that was that I sent an apology text to Phil did you? Yeah. Absolutely. I said, mate, I, I, I've watched that back and I flat out got it wrong. And he sent me a photo with Dylan Buckley at recovery, gave me the thumbs up. Nice. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Right. And again, you know, highlighting the relationship between umpires and players in my time in the game has never been healthier. Because the stakes are high in situations like that, aren't they? Well, only one team goes through. Yeah. So well, it matters. Well, talking about when stakes are high... Your two grand finals both came in 2010. Yep. Uh, the draw and the replay, Collingwood and St Kilda. The clash, well, not clash, but the incident involving Leon Davis and Stephen Milne. It was really intriguing, this one. Those long doors, the target got out seemingly everywhere. Dawson and Davis, brilliant pick up Davis. Oh. Looked at his back too, Pete, no free kick to Davis. <laughs> Fair case to answer for, I think, uh, Eddie. Yep. Now, I'm a bit... I don't know who that bloke is, but <laughs> the Collingwood supporter. Yeah. But I would have thought that was pretty close to win the back. So maybe it is pretty close. And, you know, I was pretty close to winning Lotto one year, but I didn't <laughs> win it, Mike. Um, so, you know, in that instance there, I, I think it's a brilliant decision in that it's a non-free kick. Peak's done everything he can not to land in the back of, of Davis, and Davis has gone forward as just a natural part of the contest. So no free kick warranted there. And I guess what then the extended part of that demonstrates, and it's part of why footy's so great, but the challenge that we as umpires have. So we see the, we see the game through a unique lens. It's, it, there's no emotion 
and it's, it's all about processing information and then applying the laws of the game accordingly. Yet everyone else who goes to the game, even astute, intelligent, successful Collingwood supporters, they watch it through an emotive lens. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Ed's adamant that that's in the back. I'm adamant it's not. 50,000 people cry ball, 50,000 people cry back, and I call play on. And so that's what creates discussion and debate and all of those things. And it's why we get 100,000 every week at the G and other, other sports look on in envy. Mark Fraser, Jordan Bannister and Lee Fisher, who's currently still with you, yep. all ex-players yep. who are umpiring, do they have an inherent advantage? I, think they've got, I don't think they have an advantage at all. I think that they've got an incredible challenge. I think they bring their own brand. So you watch them run around on a footy field. They look different in terms of how they roll and their movements and their mannerisms. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. Um, they have to catch up quick because they've got these ideas. Oh, you know, but if I pay, I, I know he's meant to be a 50, but he's just chasing him because if he doesn't, his coach is going to, you know, and care about the coach, mate. What's the rule? Mm-hmm. Implement the law. Um, but what they do have an advantage over is relationships as well. So they're known, they're trusted, respected. They've got those things. And what all three of those men have been able to do for our group is also open doors in terms of the rest of us having real relationships with clubs and players, et cetera, away from the ground. And that's been incredibly healthy in terms of how we all get along. So it's been, a, it's been excellent for us as a group. Have you seen enough of the 666 rule? to have a view about whether it's uh, right or too early? I like uh, the more time and space for the players in the centre of the ground after a centre bounce. So they've, they've got an extra 10 metres at either end where players aren't pinging off the back of the square to get in there, so they get more time. I like, I think for, for clubs that are able to um, assert centre square dominance, that it's going to be advantageous. I like the fact that we're seeing more one-on-one, two-on-two type marking contests as opposed to key tools going up against six blokes. Mm. They've got no chance of marking. They don't even try and mark it. They just pat it down into a spot where they can hit front and square. So they're actually trying to mark the ball now because they actually can. So I like that. I, lo- I like how that has looked, but it's very early. One word answer. Yep. Who does Ray Chamberlain barrack for? Tugging on Cowboys. <laughs> Who did Two he barrack for? before he became an AFL umpire? I followed Hawthorne Footy Club when I was a kid. So I'm from Canberra, no footy back then, no Fox footy. And Dermot Brereton and John Platten, I was seven or eight, came to our club and did a, a sportsman's night. And it was like I had Elvis in the building. And so... Yeah, um, I loved that. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I loved those two guys. But yeah, it's been, geez, it's been a long time since I've followed the game through that, mm-hmm. that lens. Yeah. Now, Ray, I've got one more for you. Yep. Probably incidental. Won't even worry you one little bit. Yep. Did you wear personalised boots in April 2018? I wore them for two years, Mike, and, um, and someone tipped off your mate, Brian, roaming Brian. Yes. Who, um, who came up to me only a matter of four minutes before the start of the game uh, with Daisy Pearce and the camera and... Um, and, yeah, and, and highlighted the fact that I had the smallest number 18 on the inside heel of my boot, which I'd had for two years. So so, so personalised and so grand was the statement. <laughs> I'd run around in AFL ground for two years and no-one had noticed. But he'd been tipped off, so that was about four minutes before Hawthorne and Geelong in front of 90,000 people at the MCG. 
And so I had to gather myself because that Did was it. throw you? Oh, I laughed. And, I, and to be honest, my, like, I didn't rob a bank. <laughs> Right? So I, really, so I really didn't care. <laughs> yeah. I am one, and I genuinely believe this, you add to the tapestry of this great game. I like the fact that you show us your personality out there. You might get the odd one wrong, but yep. I know the motives are honourable and basically you do a very good job. So it's great to see you, mate. Thanks very much, Mike. I appreciate it, mate.